1: Hello, good people of the podcasting world. Welcome to your Friday episode. Um, You may be hearing a different voice, not from me, but just over there, Mr. Tom Lucy. Say hello, Tom. Back again. Back again. again. Um, Tom is doing the intro. Tom wasn't actually on the episode today, though. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I just come in for the intro. So
1: you don't actually even know what happened in the episode. Uh, No. (laughs) Uh,
2: Alex is aware at Ibiza. It's his birthday Thomas. I heard it. I heard it got pretty violent though, <laughs> between you and the guest. Did it? Was everything patched up? I heard there was a few punches thrown. <laughs> Has that ever happened? To I'm sure you... they've cleaned it up in the edit. It's fine.
1: Has that ever happened to you on stage? Has anyone ever attacked you on attacked stage? Attacked me? No. Have you had a Dave Chappelle moment? <laughs> no. You haven't had
2: that? Uh, no. I've had a dildo thrown at me. Does that count? <laughs> Why, in Exeter Why did someone throw a dildo at you? They didn't like it They didn't like the comedy So they had a dildo I did a big This was years ago I did a big Christmas gig in Exeter And a lady threw a dildo at me um, what tiny, Like a heavy big metal A big, a big pink one <laughs> <laughs> And it landed on the stage next to me And, and, I, remember, and I remember saying well, who, who brings a dildo to a comedy club? <laughs> Obviously didn't have very high expectations for the evening Was it a battery powered one? I think it was, I think battery, yeah Dildos, are, are there any other kind? Yeah Is I, there I, a wall, wall plug-in I, one? I, <laughs> Connected to remains? I don't, I think with dildos the wrong know. person to ask they don't, they don't have to be any batteries in them at all They can just be rubber Some of them are solar powered now, I think <laughs> Electri- Tesla do one Is this a good intro for the podcast? <laughs> I think it's so good. It is so good. It hey, teases us up what we're going to talk about.
1: <laughs> today, ladies and gentlemen, we have Dr. Rongen Chatterjee on the podcast. He is an author, podcaster. He's a doctor, physician. He had, he had a TV show for a while, Doctor in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so great. He has a podcast called Feel Better, Live More, where he chats to all different sorts of people. Um, he's done it for the past... Six years, I think. No, five years, I think it is. Um, He talks about anxiety, stress, toxic thinking, depression, reducing stress, um, nutrition, health, wellness. I mean, he covers everything. And actually, when I was going through a bit of a a tricky time with anxiety, I was listening to his podcast. Really? Yeah, yeah. I was running on a running machine. I was shooting a show in South Africa. I was feeling pretty funky. And I listened to an episode of his and it really helped me. Like, I can't tell you how much it helped me. And he speaks a lot about gut health and all these different things, which I'm kind of interested in. And so we got into that and we spoke about vulnerability. I asked him a big question about vulnerability. I said, Are you, do you ever let yourself be vulnerable? And he answered it, with, which was pretty powerful.
2: I've, I've heard a couple of episodes. It's very good. It's a big podcast as well. Do
1: you think you let yourself be vulnerable?
2: Never. <laughs> Never let my guard down. <laughs> One day it's going to snap. <laughs> I also
1: think, as a psychopath. Also, I think at this time, right? Especially with, you know, uh, this is the time, it's summertime, everyone's meant to socialize mm. and be around lots of people. Some people may be feeling socially anxious, and we talk a lot about social anxiety mm. as well in the episodes. So that's a really good thing. Um, it's a really great episode. As I said, Tom's on it, Alex is with me on it, but Alex is not doing the intro because it's his birthday. He's in Ibiza, piling his butt up. Um off. But uh anyway, get ready for this. You ready for this? I'm ready. Here
2: never, we go. Never been more ready.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Rong and Chatterjee on the podcast. Enjoy. Um, I think one of the scariest things when anyone ever does a podcast, and you may know this, is you're a pro as well, is when your guest comes in and you're just thinking the whole time. How do you pronounce their name? How do you pronounce their name? So I know how I pronounce your name. I would pronounce the name Rangan. You are spot on. I love it when I come somewhere and
3: people say it correctly. I, yeah. I don't mind when they don't because I understand phonetically it looks like Rangan, but it is pronounced Rangan. But I've had an issue with it my whole life. Yeah. You know, that's the truth. Like, you know, having, you know, mum and dad, Indian immigrants to the UK, give me an Indian name that phonetically doesn't work in English. Yeah. I've been called everything under the sun uh, throughout <laughs> my life but you know what's really funny for me is that I now tell people beforehand like I was too insecure oh, you just let it let it oh yeah. yeah I, I don't want to bother people i yeah, like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. no 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 it's cool you, you just call me whatever you want like that was my response my whole life but um, I mean this is a, a much bigger story but the kind of inner work that I feel I've done since my dad died I've really now got to the point where now I say it to people like people probably want to know like before a yeah. podcast i'll say hey guys by the way my name's it's pronounced wrongan. uh don't worry if you get it wrong but it's rongan and most people are like oh well, i really appreciate that i didn't know that thank you mm-hmm. uh, but that's a new thing
1: for me yeah it, it's amazing because i um i've had the same thing so my name is
4: we all of us then have that
1: because my my surname is a bit strange as well but no, I, so. I still don't know how to pronounce yours no one does so my surname is how Lang. Would you,
4: how would you do it? Oh, we've oh, ruined it now. <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> yeah,
1: Because I, I, yeah. I say Jamie Lang. Yeah, but most people do. But that's wrong. And you've known me for but ten why years. Why do you never
4: correct me? Because I,
1: because again, going back to, to wrongs. <laughs> going back to wrongs is that it, I was I, I found it awkward, and because I've done so much TV, the presenters or panel shows or whatever I'm doing. They come up to me before and they say, um, I'm really confused with your surname. How do I pronounce it? And I say, well, listen, whatever you say is absolutely fine. Because it's an insecurity event, I become embarrassed that totally. they, they don't know how to pronounce my surname, which they say Lang, but it's meant to be Lang. It's, I think it's almost, for, for me, it was almost like a part of the people-pleasing
3: tendency I've had for much of my life, which is I don't feel good enough in myself. So be everything you can to everyone. So I'm not going to you know, be a fuss to anyone. I remember, you know, as you said that about telly, I won't say who it is, but as a very modern presenter, <laughs> who, <was> who <laughs> I know really well, and I'm good friends with and knows my name. And I was on telly, and they were reading, you know, the presenter from the, the telly prompter. And because it says R-A-N-G-A-N, even though this presenter knows me well, in that moment of live telly, they said Rangan, which is really interesting. They hadn't called me that in about a year or two. So I, but I get it because phonetically...
0: That's That's what it looks
3: like. And if you're in that mode of presenting and reading from a teleprompter, I I understand that. And I noticed when I was doing some book um, promo over the last few weeks and when I was on, again, I won't say which show it was, but um, I saw on the teleprompter, it actually said R-O-N-G-A-N, which I think is really clever because... The teleprompter's not for anyone to see. It's purely for the presenters to get it right. And so everyone was saying my name correctly. Yeah. I thought, well, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm okay with that. I had that
4: on- People really get yours wrong. They, yeah, say, they... they say twat sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I really mishear it. They do. They say a lot. <laughs> it's one of the
3: reasons why, actually, why when I first went on telly with Doctor in the House in 2015, which was great, by the way, yeah, I mean, that God, it's a long time ago now, but that's really when it all started for me. Yeah. And like, I've, I've always had an insecurity about the name Rangan because I, no one knew how to say it. It was always a problem. Oh, what, what was that? Is it Rangan? Ranjan? Uh, you know, you have that, you grow up with that, you have that your whole life, which is why actually all my handles are Dr. Chatterjee. Like, I don't think I've said that publicly before, but honestly, like, at the time when I thought, oh, I need some social media profiles, um, I thought, well, no one's going to be able to say Rangan. And it's funny because it doesn't fit that well anymore with me, the whole Dr. Chastity thing, because I've never liked the hierarchy in medicine. It's a, it's a superior I, thing. Yeah, to say, I've, yeah. I've, I've always had a problem with it. I've always seen my patients as equals and we're like partners to try and figure stuff out together. So it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently, What Dr. Chastity almost,
1: there's a separation between like people. Does that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely, I know what you mean. And, and it's funny, we're talking about the teleprompter. I, whenever I see it as well, they spell, so mine is L-A-I-N-G. Yeah. And on the teleprompter, they'll say, Jamie, L-E-N-G. So they go, Lang. So but, they say it right. So they say it right, yeah. because they're so nervous about doing it. But it's, it's funny, and it definitely, from my side, same as you, it comes from a people-pleasing situation, which is um, interesting. And, and this is what I, you know, I've listened to, uh, you know, you, you were incredibly profound in my, in a part of my life. And I think a lot of people have experienced this with you, right? Which is where I went through a period where lots of different periods throughout my life, which I've dealt with anxieties and whatever. And when I was young, and I spoke about this on the podcast the other day, Is that when I was younger, uh, and I was at boarding school, went to boarding school eight years old. I um, obviously had anxiety, but didn't know what it was. Confident guy, all this kind. He of, played a lot of sport. You know, I was fine, but I just had this low level anxiety, and that led to a lot of things. But I went through a period of what was burnout. Yeah, And that was because drinking too much, uh, burning candle at both ends, uh, not doing something that I really loved doing, right? Which was, I was doing a reality show for many years, which I didn't enjoy. And um, I was in South Africa doing a TV show and I was searching for the answer of what I was feeling like. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? Okay, is it because I feel that this has happened to happen? And I listened to one of your episodes, which was all about gut yeah. and gut health. And Uh, your guest, and I can't remember who it was, um, said, yes, the gut is all about, you know, it leads to the brain and this is what causes your endorphins and your lack of endorphins and uh, the ability to make you depressed and all these different things. And I went, okay, that's it. That's what it's going to be. And since then, I became obsessed with your podcast. For me, it wasn't about gut, but it was trying to find an answer. And the thing I love about your podcast is the honesty, the authenticity, but also the fact that you must have saved so many people out there from going, holy smokes, oh my God, there's this or that or whatever it is. I mean, first of all, I appreciate you sharing that, Jamie. Mm. Um,
3: I'm glad one of the conversations led you down a path to you know, kind of figure out what was causing you to feel the way that you're feeling. Mm. But I guess because I'm feeling quite uh, underslept today and quite emotional, I guess, it reminds me of... like last night, um, my sort of mini UK tour started last night. So I did uh, a live event in Basingstoke and there's a big book signing afterwards, long queue. And one of the nicest things was I, I waited for everyone. I chatted to everyone, heard their stories. And, you know, podcasting is an interesting medium. I love it. Like you guys, right? I literally think podcasting can save the world. I really do believe that. But it's a digital medium, right? So you put it out there, you record it. And it goes out into the ether and people consume it on whatever, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube, wherever in their in their lives, in their walks, in their commutes, on their drives. And yeah, sure, you see comments on Instagram and you read DMs and, you know, you can see that it's having an impact on people. But it's not the same as meeting people face-to-face, mm-hmm. seeing the whites of their eyes, seeing the emotion. There was one family last night who the mum and the two kids... I think the daughter was about 19, the son was about 17. And they were just literally saying how the podcast has literally changed the way they view the world, how they interact as a family. They had some gifts for me. This long letter, which I was reading in my hotel room last night, was just incredible. And sometimes I think it's hard and you must feel this as well as a podcast host. You know, both of you, I imagine that we're in a room now just having a conversation. But that conversation through the ether then goes into people's lives and and I I really believe that podcasts you know I believe in long-form podcasts as well like I go quite long in my conversations and that's intentional you know I know people say that no one's got time anymore I just don't think that's true Mm. like I think you know when I started my show a little bit after you guys started your show actually because I started in January 2018 I remember that um I remember people were saying, you know, podcasts should be thirty to forty minutes long in the UK. That's the length of the commutes. Yeah, I remember
1: them saying that. So, yeah, Yeah, it's a commute, wasn't it? It was all about my my, my first few. That's why we're in two parts because it's a commute. I've just kept it that way. Uh, And there's something there's
3: something wrong with that, right? That that, I think I think podcasting is such an authentic medium that everyone needs to find what works for them. I was finding that, oh man, after 30, 40 minutes, I'm just building a a rapport. Like I'm now, I now I've got so much I want to go into. And I just started going longer, and as I got longer, it's getting more and more popular, yeah. and more and more people are listening. Now I didn't do it for the popularity; I was doing it because I enjoyed it. And I think I don't know. I've often wondered why has my podcast become so successful? You know, authenticity. I swear, I, yeah, maybe. I'm sure it's authenticity because uh, you trying to you think well, why? You know, I don't really. When I started it, I didn't really have that much of brand you know, whatever, not that many people knew who I was. Sure, yeah. I'd been on BBC One, done Doctor in the House, but like,
1: you know, the reach now is insane. Listen, you, you congrats, because you're, um, because you're, you're doing it for the love of it, and it's, it's fantastic, you're saving people, and um, you're, it's, it's just, it's authentic. So I always ask myself a question, or I ask people to ask themselves a question,
3: would I still be doing this? if no one was watching? Mm. Yeah. That's 100%. a really powerful question. I thought, absolutely. I 100%. I literally love everything about podcasting. And I think, arguably, maybe that's why it's ended up being so successful because I'm not trying to perform or do something to be someone to someone else. I just I choose all the guests myself. It's like, am I interested? Am I curious about this guest? If I am, I want to talk to them. If I'm not, I don't think it's a good fit. And um, I've just followed curiosity who do I want to learn from who do I want to exchange ideas with and you know my goal with my podcast I don't know if I'd love to know what you guys what your goal is when you're having a conversation mine is what I want the listener to feel as if they're eavesdropping on a private conversation Mm. just like oh like I'm a fly on the wall here with them talking I probably don't manage to do it all the time but and the other thing I've worked on and you know, as it's someone who's been on telly a lot, right? I wonder what you think about this. And I've got to say, my videographer Gareth has been hugely helpful at helping me with this. But I don't know, like when I when I see videos of the early days when I was on telly, mm. I'm like, wrong, why are you putting on that voice? I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're on the BBC Breakfast sofa yeah. talking about a health story, <laughs> like. Why are you talking? like you think it'd be, uh, it'd be yeah. yeah. And, and you're holding your hands in a certain way. It's hilarious way. how
4: you fill the role. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of did the same when we when we used to do TV. You yeah. put on this weird persona, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" But yeah, and it's because <laughs> I guess in our heads, or certainly for me, well, you're, you're falling into to line. Be you're tra- you're, someone you're trying to fit into what you believe is the you know the right. Yes, and so my
3: do. my quest in uh, life and on podcasting in general is: Can I be the same person? the same tone of voice, the same way I articulate things, whether I'm on this mic or off it. Mm. And I hope I'm getting closer and closer to that where you, I hope it's very hard to tell the difference between the wrong and off mic and the wrong and on mic. And it it sounds so like to just to be
1: yourself. Well, that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. It's it's so simple. On
3: one level, it's so simple, just be yourself. It's so hard. But it's the hardest thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my podcast actually helps me like I know people get benefit from it. I get huge benefit from it as well. Like I literally, not only the information that I learn, but there's all kinds of things I've learned because I go for at least an hour and a half, right? It's helped me be more mindful and present because if I'm for 90 minutes with someone face-to-face across a table, right? Not looking at a phone, uh, not being distracted by email or Instagram or whatever, like that's presence and mm. if you ever lose your thought and it does happen sometimes where you you daydream like, oh man i just miss you know that does happen that's the truth but it happens less and less so i feel i'm a much more mindful and present person now mm. when i'm not podcasting i think podcasting has trained me
4: i think i think it's actually a rarity in just normal life no one actually sits down and no talks one. for 90 minutes I, no. I wouldn't do it if i didn't do it here because you're constantly bombarded. Yeah. Always I don't interrupted. Think, like.
3: I can't remember the last time I did that with my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> but I've done it with strangers. some of my best mates. When was the yeah. last time I sat down with him for 90 minutes and we just chatted mm. and we went deeper and none of us
1: pulled out our phone. Like, I don't remember. But it, it, it's funny, right? Because especially as you get older, and this is one of the things I struggled with quite heavily. And I want to get into what, one of your things that you talk about people pleasing and all these different things and, and grief. And, um, you know, loneliness, right? Is a huge thing. Like there was some crazy statistic, which is um, they went and uh, it was something like um, in the nineties, one in five people, and you're probably going to correct me, one in five people were lonely. Mm-hmm. Now it's something like more than half people feel lonely in their own existence. And for me, what happened was, is I got to a place where uh, I went to school, I was with a group of friends, you then go to university with a group of friends, you then leave university, you're kind of with a group of friends, and then everyone starts to have relationships and jobs and you start to spread apart. And actually what would happen is, is that um, when I was with my friends, um, I would feel even more lonely and I'd feel much more um, connected with strangers. I could say to strangers, Uh, deeper things than I could do to my friends because I was worried the whole time I was getting judged. So I became incredibly lonely, normally detached myself away from people because um, I was just not having any intimate conversations. It was all sort of lad, jokey, taking, making fun of each other. And I think that's a cause of loneliness. Yeah, I mean- Is that you have a deeper conversation with therapists or whatever who are complete strangers than you can with your best friends or wife or partners or whatever? it is. I mean,
3: when, when we hear the term loneliness, most of us go to that feeling of, Oh, I'm by myself. I don't have anyone with me or friends or a partner or whatever. But, you know, you can be lonely in the middle of Times Square, right? Because loneliness actually, at its core, is about shared connection, shared meaning with people. That's uh, Professor John Capiocio, who I think he died a couple of years ago, like uh, one of the world's preeminent researchers in loneliness. He was talking about that's what loneliness and you know, really is, or well, that's what connection is. Shared loneliness is a lack of that shared connection with somebody else. And I think what you spoke to there, Jamie, is something that's a massive problem, problem, particularly with men. Yeah, I just particularly I, 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 I that. with men. And going back to the theme, we've already been talking about this idea of um not really being ourselves, putting on a performance in life rather than truly living authentically. It's a massive problem because if we keep disguising ourselves to other people, we end up disguising ourselves to ourselves as yeah. well. So after a while, we don't even know who we are. Like we've just performed to fit in and play a role. And I see, I've I, I, I very much did this in my life hugely with guys. It's a huge problem and it plays out in so many ways, right? So I remember this uh, patient I saw a few years ago, he was about 36, 37 From the outside, his life looked great, right? He's got his own business. Um, He drove a sports car, made pretty decent money. He was working on his own terms, but he was working every weekend, working late into the evenings. And he came and wants to see me in the practice. Um, I said, actually, I think I've got depression. Um, I feel low a lot of the time. Sometimes I'm lying in bed. I can't get the motivation to get out of bed. I feel indifferent about stuff. I said, okay, well, let's figure out what's going on, and we would, you know, did some tests. They all came back normal. I would really try and understand him, and it was really clear to me that he never saw anyone. Like he was just so into his work. And now, actually, what was really interesting is that he was quite lucky. He lived in the place where he grew up, and a lot of his mates were around. And I said, "Do you ever see them?" He said, "Like I'm, I kind of, I'm too busy. I see what they're up to on Instagram or Facebook." And that's the kind of funny thing about the world. We can. See now what our friends are eating each day on Instagram. We can see where they're going on holiday, who they're hanging out with, but we don't actually have to see them. So what I said to him is I said, look, for the next six weeks, what I'd love you to do is once a week, I want you to meet up with one of your friends, at least one of your friends in person. And when you're with them, put your phone away. And I think he was a bit confused by the prescription I'd given him. It wasn't what he was expecting, but I, was, I thought, let's just see where we go here because I really think this is an issue. Comes back six weeks later, I'm not kidding you, like a different person. He almost skips into the room. says, I've got my mojo back. Life feels good, I've got my motivation. I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, I started off every Sunday morning. We'd go to the local cafe and I'd meet one of my mates. We'd chew the fat over a latte. I said, okay, great. He said, after a few weeks, a few of us got together to play five a side on a Wednesday after work. That was it. Nothing else changed, right? And the guy, honestly, because I saw him for a few months after that, no mood problems, no depression. Now, I don't want to say that works for every person, but for that individual, for that guy, he didn't have an antidepressant deficiency. He had a connection deficiency. Yes. Right? There but he was go. slowly, but from the outside. And he, 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 he basically had, had met society's definition of success, yeah. right? He's crushing it, the sports car, the job. He's got his own business, Right, but there 's nothing underneath there 's yeah. nothing inside, and I think many of us the blueprint the blueprint that you're after, and then when you get it, you 'd realize why am I not happy man I, I spoke to Johnny Wilkerson a few weeks ago on my podcast, right, and it was a pretty deep episode and johnny he 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 epitomizes the idea that I write about in my in, in in my latest book, which is like your dreams won 't make you happy, which is quite provocative, but I think for many of us our dreams won 't make us happy and I think Johnny completely epitomizes that as a kid he writes down a I want to play for England. I want to win the World Cup. Well, the problem Johnny had is by the age of 24, he's got his dreams in the most fairy tale of settings, right? Final minute scores a winning goal. But he will tell you that the minute the ball left his foot, he starts to go on a downward spiral. What? The, the morning after he's lying in his hotel room bed, feeling empty, worthless. Really? What's next? He's got everything. Yeah. He's just won the World Cup. He's on probably on every sports page in the world. Yeah. yeah. Right? His dreams did not make him happy. For many people listening to this right now, they've got to be careful. You, you can end up chasing the wrong things. Right? I guess it's redefining
4: that definition is to become a new, a new definition together.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Wrong, I want to challenge you on this as well. Because yeah, yeah, I, I, say. I find it so interesting because I agree with you, but not challenge you, I suppose, but question it. Because I heard Matt Damon do an interview once when he yeah. talked about winning an Oscar for um, uh, what is the one with Robin Williams? And it was called... Uh, and he's a maths genius. You Another know uh, yeah, the good, a- good Will hunting. hunting. So Ben Affleck, I me mean, they wrote it, they won an Oscar for it. He said in an interview, I'm so happy I won the Oscar at a young age, 23 or whatever what he won it. He realized how meaningless it was and I wouldn't have chased that dream for the rest of my life because when he got it, he was like, this is not the great. So it is that, we're told to chase our dreams, right? But then what you're countering that with is you're saying, hang on a second, if you do chase your dreams and I heard you, I think you wrote about this in your book, or you said it is where, if you, if you choose, I'm going to I'm going to murder what you said. So Mate, it's fine, just, go for it. Um, but you said something like, um, if you if your aim is to be a great father, or your aim is to be the best person going to the gym, or your aim is, and something goes wrong in your life and that doesn't work, or something happens, or you get there and you, and you don't it doesn't please you as much, you're then going to go on a spiral downwards because that's been your blueprint for that long. So are you saying to people that don't? What are, you, what are you trying to suggest? Maybe don't have a blueprint? or. or... What, what I'm trying to suggest,
3: there, there's a complex nuance here, isn't there? Yeah, because it is. You know what I mean? It, we're not going to just sit at home and go, well, I'm not going to ch- do anything anymore because, you know, I heard on this podcast that your dreams won't make you happy, <laughs> so I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. No, there's a, there's a balance. So there's a couple of ways to answer that, right? So big picture is, I think many of us confuse success with happiness, Right. They can overlap for sure, but for many of us, they're separate things. And I think society conditions us to think that more money, uh, fame, a better car, a nicer hotel on holiday, the latest phone is going to make us happy. But we see time and time again when people get that stuff, they realize it's a fleeting, short lived emotion that is not true meaning and happiness. Now, the sad thing is, often people have to go and get it, like you just mentioned with the Oscar, until they actually realize that. Or, you know, Jim Carrey saying, I wish everyone could become rich and famous to realize that it doesn't make you happy. Or Johnny Wilkinson winning the World Cup. I've had very similar things in my own life. I'm someone who society would deem very successful. You know, I'm a doctor. I've got five Sunday Times bestsellers. I have a huge podcast. I'm, you know, whatever, whatever these societal metrics of success are, I've ticked them off. But, but you very, are, but you are happy. But only to recently, for much of my life, I wasn't. For, even for the early part of my public-facing life, I wasn't truly happy. I was still very much a feel-good with external validation and feel all for The problem is when you need external validation to feel good, here's the problem. When you're getting it, hey, great, things feel good. As soon as you get one negative comment, man, you go onto the opposite, the polar extreme emotion. Right, So I, coming back to your, your question, what am I saying? The way I, I've been thinking a lot about this because how can we have motivation and desire then? You know, What's, what's the difference between um, a healthy motivation and desire and an unhealthy one? And I think it comes down to the intention behind it. So if your desire is coming from a place of lack, right? I'm not enough in who I am. Therefore, yeah. when I get that, it's going to say something about who I am that's the problem. Because when you get it, it ain't going to say anything. You're still going to have that hole inside your heart that you thought the external validation was going to fill, and it doesn't. But if your desire is coming from a place of real ambition and fullness, and I guess it's a very un-British way of saying it, but kind of love for yourself when you're like, you know, I kind of like the person I am. I really want to do this. It's very, very different. So I think motivation is good, but what's, your, what's that kind of energy behind the motivation I think makes a real difference. Going back to the Johnny Wilkerson um, story for a moment. Johnny said that he used to play rugby when he was a kid for the joy of the game. When it started to change was when, you know, in in his late teens, I think, or when he's playing for England, it's like, I don't want to play for the joy. I played because I thought it would say something about who I was, right? And that's the thing. And I was on a a podcast recently in this fantastic young lady she was she had lots of entrepreneurs and you know people who wanting to achieve success and stuff uh, listen to her podcast she goes well how do we do it then I said well I think it comes down to ask yourself what's driving you are you trying to prove someone wrong you're trying to show people I can do this right if that's if that's the drive I've had that drive for much of my life right mm-hmm. it comes down to the way I was brought up I very much took on the idea when I was a kid that I'm only worth something if I'm top of the class or I've got straight A's, right? That's Uh, so much pressure. That is a huge amount of pressure. But just, you know, I'm not putting blame on anyone for that, right? My parents were immigrants to the UK. They had a lot of struggle. There's a huge thing in immigrant families where they prioritise academic success, certainly in Indian families, right? So there's a huge emphasis put on that. So if I would come home from school with 19 out of 20... It was like, well, why didn't you get 20? If I came up with 99%, why didn't you get 100? If I came second in the class, are
1: you serious? Well, when you came
3: top, why didn't you come top? Right? It was really interesting. Your parents
1: go, would have hated me. <laughs> well, no, what's really
3: interesting is as, uh, as I was writing um, Happy Mind, Happy Life, I yeah. went round to my mums and I said, hey, mum, can I ask you a question? Because I, I detail this in the book, like I expand upon it and I say, why did you and dad say that to me when I was little? And they said, well, look, we wanted you to be the best that you could be. We knew how capable you are. So, you know, the, the immigrant mentality is if my kids do well at school, they're going to get a good job. They're going to go to a good university and they'll have no struggle and problems in life like we have had, right? So it comes from a place of love. The problem is, is that little Rongan at that age takes on the impression, I'm not blaming my parents for this. I thought, oh, I'm only worth something when I am top of the class when I have got the best grades that is a very very lonely place We be talking about loneliness yeah. this is another um flavor to loneliness right where you spend your whole life thinking that I have to be a certain way in order to be accepted and you know I for, and this is another really interesting theme that I think a lot about the way we feel that we are right so our personality we kind of think it's fixed. Oh, this is who I am. For most of my life, my mates would tell you that Rangan is really competitive, super competitive. You know, he will not lose. That was true for mm. much of my life, but I'm not competitive anymore. It wasn't, it's not who I am, it's who I became, right? So as a kid, if you think that you're only worth something when you're succeeding, well, developing the trait of being competitive is fantastic because it's going to help you meet that. Over the last few years, basically since my dad died and I've asked myself the biggest existential questions, you know, what am I doing? Whose life am I leading? Is it my life or someone else's? I don't need that external validation anymore. I actually like the person I see in the mirror these days. Like that sounds really harsh, but I think for much of my life I didn't, but I do. And therefore I don't need to be competitive. Like I don't, my my success, it's really interesting as we're, as we're talking, right, as we're recording this, we are four weeks into my latest book being out. I was really interested in my fifth book in five years. That's insane. It, it is insane. And that this book insane. has been the number one Sunday Times uh, yes. paperback for the last three weeks. I wouldn't say that's amazing. It is. But do you know what's really interesting? Before this book came out, I had really, I feel I've been on this personal growth journey. I've made peace with myself. Like I genuinely with zero arrogance can say, I honestly think it's a great book. I, th- I don't think I could do anything better at this moment in my life. Whether anyone buys it or not doesn't make a difference. It doesn't uh, change uh, that. Are you sure? Is that 100% true? Well, listen, uh, we're very good as humans at kidding ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, cause, so cause I you could be kidding success. myself right now. Yeah. Um, but w- what I can say is I don't think I am. And the reason I don't think I am is I got to that point. I've been getting there with the last few books. With this one, I really, I really thought, man, I don't need the validation here, right? Now, I got a call from my publisher the week after it comes out saying, hey, wrong, you know, can you give us a call? I said, yeah, what was going on? I said, just got to the early figures and you're going to be the number one Sunday Times paperback bestseller this, this weekend. I was like, and they were just, you know, jumping through hoops, really, really excited. I you know, want to see the wrong in of four or five years ago, would have been jumping through hoops as well. Would have phoned on my mates afterwards. Guys, guys, I just want to share with you. This is amazing. Honestly, I, I was like, it was just quiet contentment. It was like, oh, cool. You know, that's awesome. I mean, I'm really glad it's going to get out there and help people. In that real life moment, the reason why I don't think I'm kidding myself is I didn't feel that elation. It doesn't mean I'm not proud of it or content with it. I am. But, my kids still need feeding straight afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I still had to put the washing on for the next day. Like the reality of life. So, but I, mate, it's been a long journey this to I, get I, to I, this I, point. I
4: guess because you look at that now and you kind of see it for what it is.
3: Yeah, that, that it's just noise. Yeah, it's, exactly. noise. it's noise. It's nice noise. It's just noise. It's,
4: it's not the, the same love that I imagine you get from uh, you know seeing a patient that you've managed to turn their life around. That's that true sort of actual real life.
3: Yeah, it's funny because that, that then speaks to what does it mean to be a doctor for me in 2022 right because actually i've realized through my podcasts and books that i can have a far greater impact on people's health and well-being than i can one on one so it's not necessarily that what it is is it's a bit like that oscar story right it's, these are just stories you know ratings come ratings go right if let's say what what would happen if it was number 5 would I be less of a person? Would I be, um, would it have been less of a book? No. But would the old wrong have thought that? Yes, I would have done. And then I have this, this concept in the book called core happiness and junk happiness. Junk happiness habits, right? We've all got, I think core happiness is what every human really wants. And I compare it to junk happiness, which are these kind of habits that we think are making us happy, but they're sort of not. And we've all got a junk happiness habit of choice, maybe quite a few, you know, sugar, um, three hours on Instagram, gambling, uh, online shopping, online pornography, whatever it is. They're, they're all the you, kind That's of... you, buddy.
4: <laughs> don't, don't watch porn, actually, famously.
3: So. <laughs> well, the, these, these things, but actually, what's really interesting, we can look at the, uh, d- we can look at the behavior yeah. and have a laugh about gambling or pornography or sugar or shopping, but- Actually, go a little bit upstream. They're all the same. Yeah. Of course, yeah, they are. All... They're all the same. It's just what what is our our one of choice, yeah. right? Which are we drawn to? But ultimately, it, we're trying to distract. We're trying to avoid. We're trying to numb something yeah. by turning to them. And we think the happiness is there, but it isn't. It's just that's distracting the junk us. happiness. That's what I call junk happiness. I like that. And, and I'm, I'm not saying they're always bad, right? I'm not saying give up all your junk happiness habits. I'm saying they're problematic in my view if you engage in them too regularly, or if you kid yourself that they're bringing you true happiness, right? So, so you know, that's genuine. Core happiness, I think, is, is... I say core happiness, I want people to think of as a three-legged stool. Each of the legs is separate but essential, right? And if any one of those legs starts to uh, weaken, your feelings of core happiness will start to collapse. So those three components of core happiness are alignment, which is when the person who you really are inside and the person who you are actually being out there in the world are one and the same. Uh, The second leg is contentment. What are the things you can do at life that make you feel content, calm and at peace? And then the third leg I think is really important, particularly at the moment, is control, right? It's not controlling the world We can't control the world. The last few years have taught us that, if you know, whatever you want to happen, it doesn't really matter. Things are going to happen the way that they happen. This is about a sense of control. What things can you do on a daily basis that give you a sense of control? And we know that people with a sense of control have higher motivation. They earn more money. Um, they have higher academic success. They're more socially mature. They are happier. They live longer. Right? So I think those three components make up the happiness that we all really want it's not this kind of oh i've got a smile on my face every day everything's awesome you know i don't think that's real deep happiness